0: To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash FilmDaily.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Slash Daily for Saturday, July 20th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about San Diego Comic-Con 2019. We're still here. Uh, yesterday we saw a bunch of panels, we saw some premieres, uh, this is Slash Home Editor-in-Chief Peter Sorada joining me out today's podcast is Slash Home Managing Editor, Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And Slash Home Writer, Hwai Tran Bui. Hey
2: everyone.
1: She's now a grizzled Comic-Con veteran. <laughs> she gave me the thumbs up, no one uh, on the podcast can hear that, but I'm <laughs> okay. uh, putting it out.
2: yeah.
1: Um, We
3: need a sound effect for a thumbs up, so we can just play it. (laughs) People know we're going. It's maybe boing. So you hear boing. That's HG giving a thumbs up.
1: Yeah.
2: I give a lot of thumbs up
1: when I'm recording by myself. No one can idea. Ooh. Okay, so yesterday in Hall H, there was a lot happening. Um, It started, the day started out kind of like with Avengers Endgame... Victory lap, I guess is what we'll call it. Yeah. Um, it started out with this panel with Marcus and McFeely, the two screenwriters of Avengers Endgame and Infinity War, and uh, it was moderated by Jeff Goldsmith, uh, who has this great backstory magazine. Uh, he always does these great Q&As in in, in LA, and uh, this one was done in whole H, and I think the audio is online, so you can listen to the whole thing on his podcast. Yeah, the
3: Q&A, I think it's called, right?
1: Yeah, it's a a good podcast if you like interviews with screenwriters. Uh, But uh, in this panel, and I wrote this up for Slashfilm.com, they they actually revealed a lot of things that were originally written in the script that didn't happen. Uh, Like the Living Tribunal was originally in the movie. Uh, I think probably the most shocking uh, revelation is originally, while Thanos was waiting for Gamora to open, open up a portal to... Our time or twenty twenty two. Whenever Endgame yeah. takes place, yeah, the end <laughs> of Endgame takes place, um, and his ships come in to you know destroy. Uh, he went to Earth, killed everybody, destroyed Earth, killed the Avengers, and then when they opened the portal, he came through, and you could see the devastation behind him. You could see Giant Man laying in the wreckage. And in the background alongside our other heroes and then he threw Captain America's decapitated head at a- that was cut because it was too dark
3: yeah and I also think that just brings up a lot of questions I think that if people already were a little confused with the idea of multiverses they'd wonder why is Captain America dead and also alive so I think it just asks too many questions if you aren't paying attention
1: it would it would have been kind of like a twist. I'm not sure if it would, it would have played as a twist of us seeing him going and killing the Avengers. Because I guess we wouldn't know that does, doesn't have an effect on the future Avengers at that point. Do you
3: know what I mean? I don't know. I mean, I think the Ancient One has her big Doc Brown moment where she explains yeah. branching timeline. So I, I don't know. I, I feel like it would have been a really shocking moment. But I also feel like it just would have made some already questionable time travel rules a little bit more questionable.
1: Yeah. Uh, they they were asked about um, if Steve contradicted what the Russo said. They weren't willing to comment on record anymore. The uh, way and that we will probably see alternate universe or alternate timeline or. Gamora in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. So, there you go. Uh, Then we had the Russo's panel and HT, you covered this for the site. Uh, It was fun, right? It was
2: very much a victory lap panel um, because they didn't really answer much more about Avengers uh, Endgame than they have been talking about for the past couple months since they've been doing their victory lap press circuit. Um, But this panel was moderated by uh, Stephen Weintraub and uh, he kind of kicked things off by trying to probe whether they would be doing any more Marvel projects, even though they seem to be very eagerly looking towards the future with their new uh, studio, and uh, production company, Agbo. But he basically asked whether they would be doing or be involved in a Secret Wars movie. And they very diplomatically said, Marvel was a great time for us. Uh, maybe we'll work with them in the future. Maybe it'll be Secret Wars. And it was basically yeah. a, a non-committal, I don't know.
1: And then Steve went on to ask three more questions about Secret Wars, okay. and they squirmed in their seats. And yes.
2: So it was, um, they didn't talk much about Marvel except to, you know, thank the fans and touch a little bit upon the Avengers Endgame re-release. Um, talk about their idol, James Cameron, and how honored they were to, to be so close to him um, on the box office charts. Uh, but mostly they talked about their new projects that they're working on. with was Agbo, uh, the first of which is Cherry, which is kind uh, of a departure for the Russo Brothers, and it's going to be reuniting them with Tom Holland in a drama based on a novel about the opioid epidemic. It's uh, set in Cleveland, Ohio, which is the Russo Brothers' hometown. And it's a, a drama that they said will be rated R, a more mature movie and uh, something that said, that they said is, quote, Uh, doesn't have the surface level entertainment level of the Marvel movies, but is a very important story to be told. Um, And they have, they announced, or rather talked about, several other projects, including their first animated project, Magic the Gathering, which is a Netflix animated series, and they tease could have the potential to spin off into live action if it were to be successful, Uh, as well as the Thomas Crown Affair, which unites them with Michael B. Jordan, um, it's a fresh take on the heist film first directed by Norman, Norman Jewison in 1968 and remade uh, in 1999 by John McTiernan. Uh, they also talked about The Electric State, which they are uh, in um, involved with, with the uh, Agbo partners Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, the screenwriters that they've worked with frequently with Marvel. <laughs> and they um, also uh, revealed two other projects at this panel, which include Grimjack, based on the 80s indie comic book, classic, about a sword for a higher gladiator in a in pan-dimensional city. I don't know much about this.
1: Jacob, um, do, you, do you know, you are the encyclopedia of comic knowledge here. Do, do you know anything about Grimjack?
3: I won't come with an encyclopedia. I am an incomplete Wikipedia article, but I <laughs> have never heard of Grimjack, and I bet most people in Hollow Age have not heard of Grimjack either, based on the, the very scattered applause when they <laughs> announced
1: it. I had heard of it, but I've never read anything about it. So, I don't Um, know. It
2: seems to be close to the Russo Brothers' heart, though. Joe Russo said that it was his favorite comic book of mine, of his, when he was uh, growing up, and he had issue one in a box in his childhood home. (laughs) And um, the other one that he talked about, uh, the new uh, title, was Battle of the Planets, which uh, some people were more familiar with. It's going to be a new um, remake of the uh, 80s animated series, Battle of the Planets, which itself was based on the Japanese anime series uh, Science Ninja Team Gatchaman.
1: Was that like one of those ones where we, we repurposed a anime and basically redubbed it and made it our own?
2: I think it was actually a remake. Or it was a like, complete remake? Animation. Okay. Yeah. Um, but this was something that he, uh, the Russo brothers, uh, grew <laughs> up with, and they joked that uh, if you can tell, we're slowly to hunting down all our favorite IP from our childhood and turning that into projects.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, J- Jacob, do you have any thoughts on any of those announcements?
3: Uh, none whatsoever. I mean, it was a totally fun panel. Uh, the thing that gets lost in translation uh, on audio is that uh, various members of the Avengers cast sent in like, video questions. Uh, Chris Hemsworth, Chris Evans, Paul Rudd. And they're all very cute and very fun. Uh, it was definitely a you got to be there to enjoy this panel kind of kind of thing.
1: Yeah, like Chris uh, asking the Russos who has the best ass out of the. Oh no, that was Paul. Or was actually. that Paul? Yeah. Oh yeah, it was Paul. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, but
3: it, but it was a it was a it was a very fun panel. Uh, just, but none. If, if the goal was to get people thrilled about future Agbo productions, I'm not sure they succeeded because they showed the trailer for Twenty One Bridges, which is a very generic looking cop movie. Uh, sorry, Chadwick Boseman. And you can tell there was the the polite applause after the trailer, but nobody in Hall H was like, I've got to go see 21 Bridges, so... Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, Okay, moving on, Jacob, you had to sit through two Walking Dead panels. I apologize. (laughs) Uh, Also, apparently, Chris Hardwick was hosting. I apologize again.
3: Yeah, Uh, if you you want want to know why enduring two hours of Chris Hardwick is a rough thing, I'd recommend Googling uh, his history of, of abuse, but... Him coming back uh, to Hall H. Is,
1: um, Claimed abuse, just to yeah, speak.
3: Yeah, um, abuse uh, brought on by uh, his ex-girlfriend. Uh, so him being here at all was an uncomfortable thing, and I could tell that there was some unease in Hall H at him even being there. But uh, anyway, as is the usual, Fear the Walking Dead kicked things off, because if Walking Dead went first, able would leave the room before Fear started. Because the, the, the tone each year for the Fear of the Walking Dead panel is always, please watch our show. We're very different. We're not the same thing as Walking Dead. It's always there's always a tinge of desperation to it. And this year was no different. The, the Strangely, tone,
1: I've heard it's actually gotten much better than the the regular show. They I've... killed
3: off most of the main cast about two years ago, uh, relocated from California to Austin, Texas, and apparently the show was taking on more of a Western vibe. And they, they tried to sell in the, uh, uh, in, in, in the panel. And to be fair, they're... Walking Dead always cuts good trailers and the Fear the Walking Dead trailer they show which is for the back half of season 5 has some interesting footage including uh, teasing an episode where a character uh, made of her found footage which looked really interesting uh, and I feel like every TV show at some point has to have their found footage documentary episode MASH did it ER did it now Fear the Walking Dead is doing it but the only real news come out of this was that uh, Scott Gimple, who's the, uh, he oversees the entire larger Walking Dead media franchise alongside Robin, the creator. He teased the, the new Walking Dead spin off coming, which is actually an, an interesting setup. I'm not sure if nothing will get me to watch it, uh, which is it will be set deeper in the zombie apocalypse in a walled community uh, full of people who have grown up beyond, behind the walls in relative safety and comfort and have never known the world before the zombie apocalypse and follows a group of young people as they set out beyond the walls on, a, on an adventure. And you know, encounter the real world for the first time. So it's it feels like they're, they're trying to you know invest mm-hmm. in a world where post selling Apocalypse things have changed, which is what made the comics so interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't have faith that this could be a good show, but it sounds different enough that I'm glad it's not more of the same, which was field walking into problem in its early seasons.
1: Are you are you gonna watch?
3: No, I'm. The proper Walking Dead um, panel, which played after, I started having these twinges of nostalgia, going, like, maybe it's good, maybe I should, maybe maybe I should go back in, but it's like Dead. I'd rather the people who were ha- made happy by it stay happy with it, and as good as that season ten trailer is, which they, which you know, even though Andrew Lincoln is gone and Don Guerrero is leaving. It's so strange to see Norman Reedus be the face of The Walking Dead, i was always been the fan favorite, but now he's the full-on leading man. And there was no real big news out of the proper Walking Dead panel. They showed the new trailer, they, you know, interviews with the cast, about the character evolution. Uh, they, Rob Kirkman said that even though the comic book has ended, since uh, the comic's final emotional arcs are about characters who are no longer on the show because they're dead or the, or the actors have left, um, they're free to sort of, from this point, so Walking Dead's gonna keep on going forever until it stops making money, so Walking Dead season 20, I'll see you in 10 years.
2: Oh, there was a quite emotional, um, goodbye for Denai Guerrero, though.
3: Yeah, there, there was a, people were, people who don't read the internet seemed very surprised by her announcing that she was leaving the show, you know, lots of gasps throughout Hall H. Oh, really? Yeah, and, but, you know, everybody seemed genuinely moved to be talking about her. She The best parts of the show back when I used to watch it, and her leaving the show feels like a pretty tremendous blow for it because at this point there are so few like beloved core characters left that with Walking Dead's ratings, you know, still strong but slipping. I, I wonder when people say enough is enough. Which brings us to the Walking Dead movie, which we knew was coming, but had a very brief teaser. Mm-hmm. Uh, that confirmed that Andrew Lincoln's Rick Grimes, who left the show last season, is back for the movie, and it'll be a theatrical release, not a TV movie, as previously reported, with universal distributing. So look for that in the next couple of years.
1: Okay. Uh, next up, they had a panel for The Witcher. This is the Netflix. Uh, is online, so I'll link that in the show notes. Uh, but what did you guys think?
3: Uh, we saw clips as well. And I think a lot of people are expecting, since this is a Netflix production, for it to have, you know, maybe Game of Thrones-level filmmaking going on. And it doesn't. It does not look like an HBO show. It looks like a really well-made sci-fi channel show, like something along the level of The Expanse. You know, it looks like a TV show. So if you're looking for something grand and cinematic, I think you may be disappointed. But if you're okay with The Witcher looking like, you know, a really polished television program with all the TV limitations you know, you'd you expect from, them from a non Played the video games, I was more familiar with this world already. HT, what did The Witcher look like to you as somebody who is unfamiliar with this
2: world? I was intrigued. I have to say, I have very little. It did pique my interest quite a bit. Um, I only knew that like Henry. but I was actually uh, quite taken with the other female characters that were introduced at the panel and in the trailer. And uh, there seemed to be a few, like, disparate plot threads that were being woven in um, that I didn't quite understand, but it was check out the first episode for. It, it was, um, you know, it was grim, it was gritty, but it had that level of fantastical, um, I don't know... Of escape that I was, I would seek out in a fantasy series. So um, I, I, I liked it. I think um, I t- was not as impressed by the clips as I was by the trailer. They cut together a really good trailer. But um, I'd probably check out that first episode.
3: Yeah, the trailer's more impressive than the clips because the trailer has all the shots they clearly have finished, including an encounter with a giant crab monster. And since a Witcher is about a guy, a, a witcher, which in his fantasy world is somebody who is trained to hunt monsters for a living, <laughs> uh, the trailer, by default, is most impressive because it actually has a monster in it. Clearly, the rest of the monsters aren't ready for prime time, are ready to be shown. Yeah, but it was. Um, uh, it's very interesting. There's, there's a female showrunner, uh, Lauren uh, Hisrich, is the showrunner, and the, and the, the games and the novels um, are have a lot of male and female characters, and the games are famous for, being, for having tons of sex. Uh, <laughs> and so I'm very curious to see a female gaze brought to this, and the trailer leads heavily on this with an incredibly shirtless uh, <laughs> Henry Cavill, looking enormously buff, even more so than he was a His Superman. arm
2: the size of my head.
3: <laughs> wow. So I, if you're looking for, I, I feel like uh, this show clearly knows that the guys are coming from the monster fighting and the sword fights, and the girls um, are going to we'll see these compelling female characters and Henry Cavill looking enormously ripped so i feel like it, it is trying to be fantasy for everyone
1: yeah um okay let's talk about something that both of you were left really kind of shocked and excited by and that is the netflix tv adaptation of dark crystal h tell us about it
2: so dark crystal uh, age of resistance is a netflix series that will act as a prequel to jim henson's 1982 classic and I have to say, I was I recently saw the original film, and uh, so I don't have quite the nostalgia for it. And I was a little bit ambivalent towards it. I am a fantasy fan, but I found that it to be, it to be a little bit too uh, not incomprehensible, but a little hard to just kind of get uh, interested in and get involved in. But I did not find that problem at all with. The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. So, this panel included executive producer Lisa Henson, as well as director Louis Leterrier, Leterrier who uh, directs all 10 episodes of the series, as well as stars Karen Egerton and Mark Hamill. And at first, the panel kind of seemed like a little bit of an excuse for Mark Hamill to hammer it up and, become, yeah. and be his, you know, Comic Con's favorite personality. And they kind of nailed, hammered that in with a, an award that they handed to him at the end of the panel. Um, which was a new award. It's the Comic-Con Icon Award. Um, and he talked a lot about just the voice acting process, and Lewis Leterrier talked about the difficulty of working with pa- practical puppetry, which is something they emphasize with this new series to be bringing back the Jim Henson Company, too, is very deeply involved with this through Lisa Henson.
1: But it's not just, like, a few practical puppets. It seems like it's mostly practical, it's right? It's
2: mostly practical, with the exception of... Um, CGI backgrounds and, and to remove the, the puppet tears, but um, uh, it, yeah, it's all practical, it's very much that tactile uh, um, effect of practical puppets, um, something that Jim Henson of when he first kind of started doing and working on dark, The Dark Crystal. So um, after the panel, which was very short and like, not really much came of it, uh, they actually surprised us with a screening of the first episode of The Dark Crystal. And I was bowled over oh by this God. episode. It's so it's good, so good. Not only does it look so gorgeous and lavish and rich, I was just shocked by how easily I fell into the story and was transported by the story. Um, it's a little bit hard to summarize without sounding like a crazy person because <laughs> it's like it's very high <laughs> fantasy. It's yeah. like it's set in the world of Thra, which um, we are introduced to in the Dark Crystal. And it's a prequel series that takes place many years before the events of the film, and it follows these Gelflings, which are the main um, protagonist characters that Ho- kind of humanoids, kind of Hobbit elf hybrids, Hobbit elf hybrids, <laughs> who are these peace-loving creatures, and um, you know live in this uh, in a, in this naivete that the Skeksis. Um, the villains of the film are their you know protectors, the lords of the crystal, who have actually tricked the auger, the original protector of the crystal for, uh, into giving them the crystal so that they can drain it of its life force and re- um, achieve immortality through that. But uh, after the thousands of years of draining that um, crystal, it's actually, tainted the crystal and thus has started to um, start the darkening through all of Thra and these three Gelflings who are the main protagonists, one, the first played by Taron Egerton the second by Anya Taylor-Joy and the third by Natal- Natalie Emmanuel, um start to kind of discover uh, that something is amiss and um, it is amazing how it juggles all these plot threads and this sprawling ensemble while like introducing us to this really rich world um, and still is just completely enthralling. I was just gripped from beginning to end. The action is, is done so well. The environments are some of the most lavish, gorgeous, gorgeous um, fantasy environments I've seen, like in the warm, rich colors. And I really love the designs, too, that um, are more sort of organic and natural uh, in, in a way that you don't really see in a lot of fantasy. I feel like it's something that's very earthen and tied to this uh, more, you know, Mystic world of Throb versus the the Skeksis designs. They're kind of almost eldritch and macabre mm-hmm. in their modernity. Um, and I, I was telling Jacob this as I was running out of the uh, of the episode to write up about it. It kind of reminded me of Studio Ghibli films, specifically Princess Mononoke, um, and in that sort of clash between modernity and um, the the natural order, and how modernity comes in as a sort of um, seemingly uh, benevolent force. Only to start to transform and taint the world around them. Um, and it's that clash between that modernity and that spirituality that becomes a sort of um, a, a main theme in this series. Something I didn't really see in the original film and something that really um, captured me when I was watching this series, yeah. this episode.
3: Yeah, when this series uh, was first announced, um, I was. Not excited because I, I, I've seen Dark Crystal when I was very young But I've no Nostalgia for. It. I haven't seen it in, you know, 25 years And I just wasn't, you know, thrilled at the, at the concept of revisiting a world that I had no love for But about 15 minutes in the first episode, I was really hooked And especially impressive because there are probably two dozen main characters introduced in this first episode You know, half a dozen major plot lines and subplots it's, it's, it's a Game of Thrones-esque labyrinth of characters, relationships, and situations, but I was so immediately sucked in and so immediately uh, understanding of, how, of where everybody fit into this puzzle, mainly because the voice acting is so good, and if occasionally you may think that the puppets uh, are maybe a little less expressive than the human face, the... Uh, voices are directed in such a way that they fill in the blanks of whatever puppet uh, if a puppet doesn't have the right emotion to express on its face the voice acting is filling in the blank for you in a way that i found really fascinating it took me a few minutes to adjust to it to understand that i was watching puppets uh and if jim henson's original dream was to tell full-fledged actual stories with puppet characters and you know as, as an art form as a medium uh and he never quite, you know, saw that happen within his lifetime. This feels like the continuation of that dream. Because these puppets are fully realized characters who are three-dimensional. They, they, get, they, they, they run, they fight, they're like, genuinely touching romantic scenes. They, they, they scream for their lives when they're in danger. They uh, have comic relief. They betray each other. And it's to see these characters who are being brought to life by puppeteers and voice actors... Being treated with such with the reverence we would treat a actual actor in a dark fantasy epic, I've never <laughs> seen it pulled off to this extent before. I, the closest comparison is a completely for genre. It's *Anomalisa*, the uh, Trakopin directed film that was a you know a surreal drama with puppets. This is similar to that in that it uses puppets very seriously as an art form to, to tell complete stories without the artifice of saying, "Hey, look, they're puppets," you know, which is how most of these yeah. stories have been told in the past. Even the Muppets, which I love, is still ultimately about, hey, look, they're furry creatures. Uh, aren't they funny? Whereas this is, no, these are full-fledged characters, not humans. You know, they're, they're fantastical, fantasy creatures. And it rolled, we were asking you to care about, in a plot, and we were asking you to care about, in episode one, I care a lot. And I'm very excited to see more.
1: Well, uh, you know, I was always more of a labyrinth person than the Dirt Crystal person, but you guys have gotten me really excited for this. Uh, You can watch the trailer for The Dark Crystal on the website. I'll link it in the show notes. And that comes out on August 30th. So uh, next up was Game of Thrones. Uh, This is a panel that originally the showrunners were supposed to show up at, but they pulled out because... Uh,
3: They claimed scheduling conflicts, but I believe (laughs) that they realized they did not want to face the Comic-Con crowd after the divisive uh, final season. And this is this the first. The head of the Comic-Con programming came out beforehand and did a very coded speech about how we all respect each other's fandoms, we all respect each other um, as human beings, and we should remember that, because this is Comic-Con where we celebrate this stuff, and it was very, the message was not lost of don't be a dick. Um, <laughs> and I've never seen that at any panel, anything before, and it was very unusual, especially since the panel that followed it was very much another victory lap panel with no news worth reporting, um, and with the showrunner's not there, no questions about the final season and storytelling choices. Just very much questions like, if your character had lived, you know, what what, they, what would they have done next? You know, what was your favorite line from the series? The one thing that got kind of blown out of proportion is that Colin Luth-Hill, who plays Ferris in the show, um, made a said a really eye roll worthy thing. We said that clearly, the fans loved the final season based on Hall H. And, uh, and that the media um, were the ones who created the um, idea of the final season being widely hated which made me roll my eyes um, but I, I think that Twitter especially from people who weren't in the room blew it out of proportion to the point where they're saying the entire Game of Thrones cast was united and, and saying that critics led a hate campaign which is not what they said and I it, I, found it, I found it really annoying in real time to watch Twitter take a single dumb comment from an actor um, speaking for himself and just social media rolling with it in all the wrong directions. So that was the one piece of news that came out yeah. of the panel. Even then, it was pitched in the exact wrong direction. So on the record, as somebody who's in the room, it, it was not nearly as Trumpian as Twitter's making it sound.
2: I feel like Conleth Hill has been putting his foot in his mouth regarding Game of Thrones for a while now anyways. Yeah. He
3: said this while trying to walk back previous statements, but yeah. not liking season eight. So, <laughs> uh, and, and if you listen to Conleth Hill and the rest of the panel... Every every other word out of his mouth is a non sequitur of him being a total eccentric weirdo, which is lovable most of the time, except when he's giving out information people really want. Uh-huh. So I wouldn't even quote him as speaking for anyone except for whatever Colin the hills thinking for that in that second of his existence. So my on the record thing here is that I would not go around with with irresponsible headlines announcing that Game of Thrones hates the media because that's that's not what happened at that point. <laughs>
1: Okay, we have two last big things. You guys both saw the world premiere of different things. Um, which one should we get to first? Well, mine wasn't a
3: world premiere. Uh, it well, was, yeah, it played
1: yeah. At a, it's played at film festivals. Yeah. but the, Okay, you both saw Comic-Con premieres. Yes. Which one should we get to first?
3: I'll do mine first, because mine is uh, the one that's been playing uh, elsewhere. That's Freaks, a new uh, uh, low-budget uh, genre film. Uh, from Adam Stein and Zach, is it Zach Leposky, Peter?
1: Yeah, and uh, uh, full disclosure, I am friends with Adam and Zach, and I have been friends with them for many years now. I have not seen this film, uh, and my my friendship with them does not affect your review. In yeah, I did,
3: I, I did not know them, which is why Peter sent me to cover this, so I can give you my honest opinion. And my honest opinion is that Freaks is a very good movie. It is about an overprotective father, played by Emile Hirsch, who not let his daughter leave their home. He has it prepared for all kinds of contingencies if, if something should go wrong. There's guns in the house, there's thousands dollars in cash, there's canned food. Uh, she, she's, she's not allowed to interact with strangers. And at first, you wonder, oh, is this guy crazy? What's going on? What's going on outside the world? And the movie does a really amazing job of peeling back the layers. Uh, and without overselling it too much, it's kind of like if Dogtooth met X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and... Ultimately, the blend of horror, science fiction, uh, and, yes, maybe a little bit of superheroics, reminds remind me a lot of what uh, X-Men New Mutants was apparently shooting for in those early trailers, to the point where there's no reason to even release New Mutants if Freaks exists. It's, it's an incredibly good, dark movie about isolated people, persecuted people, fighting back. And it is dark, it is spooky, it is fun... It's, uh, it has infinite gallons of imagination on a small budget. There are shots where you realize, oh, they had a, they've had bit off more than they can chew with this shot. But I will always take that over you know, something that's woefully generic but well-produced. So uh, Freaks is hitting theaters next month. It's going to be probably a limited release. I imagine it will be widely available for streaming, VOD, and whatnot beyond that. And if you're looking for a really good... Uh, you know, X Men itch, and and you and you uh, don't want to wait. You know, five years. until Marvel Studios gets around making something else, and you're disappointed by Dark Phoenix. And you want a story that's really surprising and does something really special with that kind of idea. Uh, Freaks is very good.
1: I'm so happy to hear people are liking this film because uh, Adam and Zach, I I first met them because they, they there was this reality series on TV. That Steven Spielberg produced. That it was called On the Lot, and it was filmmakers competing for a development deal at DreamWorks. And each week they would make these short films. And Adam and Zach were both like my favorites on that show. And they've they've had careers since then. Um, Zach's done a bunch of like horror movies, which um, and. Uh, d- and Adam has I, I think he, did, he worked for Jimmy Kimmel for some time making like the on the street stuff um but th- this really seems like the first time that uh they have both been really creatively uh accepted uh by, by like j- just like they're, they've been taking this through to film festivals and I'm, I'm just really really happy to see uh this for them because yeah they're I, great guys.
3: I'm happy it was good especially I've seen <laughs> I felt I was really trepidatious because I've seen one of his before films before, uh, Leprechaun Origins, and with all due respect to him, it's one of the worst films I've ever seen in my entire life. So, seeing him rebound <laughs> to, with
1: To it, be fair, <laughs> you try to make a film for WWE films and try to make it good.
3: <laughs> I, but, but, but to be fair, I, um, Freaks is, is, is exceptionally good, so I have I, I, nothing makes me happier than seeing a filmmaker who's clearly talented finally has a chance to make a movie as clearly their voice as opposed to a WWE Leprechaun
1: prequel film, so... And th- this is totally one of those things where, like, you know, the studios were not giving them the things they wanted to make, and they made this on a, I don't know how much of a low budget, but a low budget enough that they had creative control and they were able to do it their way. Yeah, so, and yeah. it's set
3: almost entirely in one house just only a handful of characters, and you forget that because you're yeah. so wrapped up into it. It's, it's good. It's very good.
1: So check out Freaks when that comes out. Um, let's talk about The Boys. Uh, we have a review of The Boys on the site right now. From our own Chris Evangelista, who calls it a nihilistic, cruel, heartless superhero show we probably deserve. Um, he said it's probably the the worst, or the most negative review he's ever ra- uh, written.
2: Really? And he's slammed <laughs> a lot of movies. Yeah,
1: yeah so you, uh, he said this right before you were going, uh, before HT was going, to see the Comic-Con premiere of The Boys.
2: Yeah, I was a little bit disheartened by this review because I gen- my interests generally align with Chris's. Yeah. But I have to say, I don't agree with him here. Uh, I Aha, like- <laughs> Chris can be wrong. <laughs> Chris can be wrong. I like, um, they screened the first two episodes of The Boys, which is the new Amazon series, uh, based on the comic book of the same name by Garth Ennis and Derek Robertson. And it's developed by Eric Kripke, Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen, so they screened the first two episodes for us, and it was like a fan screening and the premiere at Comic Con. Um, and I liked the first two episodes quite a bit. The pilot was directed by Dan Trachtenberg, uh, a friend of the pod. Yeah, <laughs> and um, I I can't recall the name of the second pilot second episode director, and I apologize for that. But um, there is a bit of a tonal shift between the first and second episodes. But I liked what I saw in those first two episodes. Yes, it's a little bit um, excessively violent. Yes, it's needlessly cruel at at times. But it's kind of a breeze to watch. It's very fun. It's very tongue-in-cheek. It knows what it is. And I really like the the performances by stars uh, Carl Urban and Jack Quaid especially. Jack Quaid is kind of our protagonist and the in into this world. He plays an innocuous um, video uh, electronic store employee whose girlfriend accidentally gets killed um, by uh, one of the superheroes of the Seven, the um, uh, sort of godlike figures that are worshipped and are uh, uh, underneath the protection of a giant corporation. Um, and so when he when his girlfriend gets killed he doesn't see any justice and gets upset and kind of gets roped into this um, plot by Carl Urban's um, character who is a member of the boys, Billy Butcher, Butcher. and uh, the boys is a vigilante group that seeks to um, take down these corrupt superheroes so um, the first episode is very much an introductory episode and kind of Tosses us into this hyper-violent world, but again, it's it's kind of it's a breeze to watch. It's very brisk, it's very fun, and um, there are a lot of nods to the comic, which I didn't get, but I kind of could see whenever the fans would would cheer and whoop. (laughs) Um, Simon Pegg makes an appearance as Huey, um, uh, Jack Quaid's. character's father um, and uh, he uh, he's a that's a kind of nod to the comics because Huey was originally drawn as uh, inspired by Simon Pegg correct yeah Yeah. So I, I enjoyed it. I, yeah, I'm sure it gets darker and maybe more nihilistic as it goes on because Chris saw more episodes. But of what I saw, I, I did have a good time. And uh, it just got picked up for a second season, which the cast and Eric Kripke celebrated at this screening. They introduced the, um, the episode before it came on. And uh, they also brought on Giancarlo, Giancarlo Esposito, who appears as a guest character in at the end of the first season, but will apparently be a recurring character in season two.
1: Cool. Um, I have heard it's, like, much in the same vein as, like, uh, kick-ass. Mm. This is either your thing or it's not your thing. Yes,
2: it definitely is similar to that. I wouldn't say... I think it's a little bit... Um, uh, it's not as intense as Kick-Ass, even. Although Kick-Ass is a feature film, so it has a lot of things happening in its just two-hour runtime. It uh, The boys does take a little bit more time to, to, to breathe, and we do have... I do like the characters. I remember reading Chris's review, and he's like, none of the characters are like likable. Well. I'm like, I disagree with that. I, I enjoy Jack Quaid's character. I enjoy um, the character of Starlight. Uh, played by n- newcomer, uh, well, not a newcomer. She's been in quite a few things. Erin um, Moriarty. She's she's sweet, and I enjoy her 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 sort of plot thread as well. So um, yeah, do, I. Do,
1: do you think her last name is really Moriarty? I hope so. I hope so, yeah. I don't know, that's a cool that,
3: it, their last name. That would
2: be a really cool name.
1: So
3: I think what we learned from this is that now I need to watch The Boys when it arrives to be the deciding vote here, right? Yeah,
2: because you yeah. are a fan of the comics, or maybe you've you read them, I don't I, know if you're a fan. i
3: read them, i read most of them, and, and it's a series that I like with reservations because when The Boys, the comic, is bad, it's really bad, mm-hmm. but when it's good, it's really good, and I feel like there's never an in-between with it, so it's very hard for me to call myself a fan, but I also could not put it down, so okay. take that which you will.
2: Yeah, I think um, I think you probably enjoyed this, Jacob. But also, I, as a person who doesn't know anything about the comics, I have no idea.
1: Okay. Well, we we are recording this on Saturday morning. We're about to get ready to go to Hall H for the big day. This is the day where they're having a bunch of stuff, including
3: uh, Star Trek, Westworld, and then Marvel Studios. Yeah,
1: Marvel is the you know the cherry on top. Yeah. So uh, we will update this this uh, podcast feed with with our reactions from there. Later on today, or maybe it'll be tomorrow. I don't, I'm not sure, but look back for that, and you know, go to slashfilm.com to to see it before we get to the podcast feed. Uh, but you can find all the stories I mentioned on today's podcast linked in the show notes. You can find this podcast published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at And please rate and read this podcast on iTunes, tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.